Well, good morning. I'm glad to see all of you and glad to welcome those who are worshiping with us online as well today. Glad you could be a part of this service. Today we start a new series and it's talking about being messy. Did you hear about the fact that the garbage truck was coming down the street one day and, and uh, she heard it coming? And she had an old ratty bathrobe on, and she had curlers in her hair, and she had cream on her face. But she grabbed up the trash, and she ran out, and she saw the truck. And she said to the man on the back of the truck, am I too late? He said, no, jump right in. Now, the point is that we're all a mess. Just look at the person next to you and say, we are a mess. We all are. We have to acknowledge that. We're a mess. And so there's this phrase that we hear today. You hear this phrase a lot. And did you know that it goes back to the 19th century? Did you know that? Have you ever heard somebody say, you're just a hot mess? Yeah, it goes back to the 19th century. A hot mess. Do you know what they were referring to? Well, back in the 19th century, they were referring to the mess hall or a mess kit. It was referring to food. And so it had to do with the military, okay? And then in the 20th century, they came along and they modified that a little bit and it still had to do with the military, but they were referring to a dangerous environment or a firefight or a dangerous situation. And then in the 21st century, a hot mess is actually defined as an attractive disaster. Did you know that? <laughs> do you see any today? Are they here? An attractive disaster. Somebody whose life is in disarray, but yet they seem to somehow remain somewhat attractive. There's a mess around them, and yet they're somewhat functional. They're able to go to work and to school, and they look a lot better than their circumstances should allow them to look. So really, that's our goal in life, isn't it? To look better than our circumstances allow us to look. And one of the reasons that people are not sure if they like church or not is because we are surrounded by so many hot messes, right? That's true, isn't it? Because we've all got a mess going on somewhere in our lives, but, but we clean up good. That's the nature of the hot mess. Now, I want to talk about that today because we talk about all kinds of hot messes. A hot mess can be financial. It can be family. It can be health. It can be professional. It can be academic. You could look in the mirror and say, I am a hot mess. There's all kinds of different hot messes. Some of you married a hot mess. You know, from my perspective, it's wonderful for me to be able to look around, and I know some of you, and I know some of you who are married, and the dynamics taking place. When I'm talking about your relationship to one another, I'm just creating counseling appointments for myself every Sunday when I get up here, okay? And so I talked to my wife this week, and I said, Laura, I want you to help me because I want to brainstorm about mistakes and messes I've made. And, and I, you know, because there's so many, there's a plethora. We don't have time, okay? But, you know, what came to her mind when she started trying to think was the messes that she made. And so I, I have permission to share. And so I could share with you like the, about the time that she locked herself in Breakfast Point Academy where she was a teacher after hours and we had to get someone to come over there and let her out. But I'm not going to share that. <laughs> or, or I could tell you about the time that she locked herself in my office and set the alarm off last Sunday after church. <laughs> but I'm not going to tell you that one. 
There's a lot of stories I could tell you about Laura being a hot mess, but I've chosen this one. Years ago, we were living in Navarre, Florida, and it was right after Hurricane Ivan, Ivan the Terrible. And Laura and our six-year-old daughter, Catherine, had gotten in the minivan and they were going from the house over to another house of some friends of ours in the church who was making some draperies for our home. And so we lived in this great big section called Holly by the Sea. <clears throat> it was huge. And there was an old section and there was a new section. And you could actually cut through the sections without getting on Highway 98. And that's what she wanted to do. So she found a road that she thought would take her through. And she started down that road. But as she drove down that road, she realized that the pavement ended at a certain point. And it was just kind of red clay. Well, that wasn't unusual because it was such a big subdivision. There were a lot of roads back then that weren't paved all the way through. But she went on. And then as she was going along, she realized that there was a big mud puddle that was all the way across the road on that red clay because of the hurricane. And that puddle across the road, she just sized it up and she sized it incorrectly. <laughs> she, she gunned her minivan, but she didn't make it through that first puddle okay to the other side. Well, now she had confidence. It was false confidence. And when she got to that second big puddle all the way across the road and the puddle came up, she tried the same thing and the van just went into the puddle and stopped and sank into the water there. And she opened the door and it sloshed, the water sloshed on the door. And she said, Catherine, come up front. We're going to climb out of the minivan and jump to dry land. Catherine, who was six years old, started crying at this point. <laughs> Laura said, don't cry. It's an adventure. You watch where I put my feet and you put your feet there and we will climb on the roof of the minivan, okay? So they climb out and they throw their shoes to dry ground and they jumped. And Laura called me and she said, I'm almost positive I'm going to need a tow truck. <laughs> and I said, don't call a tow truck. Maybe I can get it out. Ha, ha, ha. Someone said to me today, with your vest on, you look so woodsy. <laughs> I don't really know what that means, but I think it means I, it looks like I'm an outdoorsman. But I'm not, okay? So it was about supper time, and Laura said, go by McDonald's and get a Happy Meal for both of the girls. Our older daughter was at home. I took her with me. Laura had Catherine, thank God for cell phones. And I went by McDonald's, and I got a Happy Meal for both Elizabeth and Catherine. Laura did not receive a happy meal. <laughs> we did have to get a tow truck to get the van out. So some of you may be married to a mess. Some of you were warned in advance and you still didn't listen. The previous three girlfriends to the man that you married took you out to lunch and said, honey, 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 honey. And you said, no, 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 I'm going to fix him. <laughs> Write this down. You fix a dog. You do not fix a spouse, okay? That could come in handy later. Some of you are dating a mess today, and as I'm talking, you're kind of leaning back and looking over in their direction and wondering, <clears throat> should we continue or not? 
Some of you are parenting a mess, and you would like to stand up and give a testimony about that today, but we don't have time. Maybe today you're blessed. Maybe today you are between messes in your life, and everything's wonderful, but you are just one dumb decision away from making a mess. Okay, and, and there's one thing that all of us today have in common, and that is that we are messy. Sometimes we create the mess. Sometimes we inherit the mess. Sometimes we just look up and all of a sudden we're surrounded by the mess. And the good news is that the mess is what brings us together today. Look around. We think everybody looks good. Look at them. They look good. Most of them smell good, okay? Don't get too close. They dress up. They come to church. Everything's presented well. Bless the mess in their life because the messiness of their life, though, is what brings us all together. And it's important for us to note that somebody who's making a decision and thinking about themselves, you may look at someone else and they, you say to them, or in your mind you say, don't they realize that they're just a mess? But let me say to you, before we're too critical, before we begin to look at other people, and before we begin to analyze and critique and come up with some kind of thought about them, what we need to remind ourselves is we're not called to be critics of others. We are called to be students of ourselves. We don't have time to f on, on people, people because we are. Yes, yes. So we have to be students. How how can and have help with our mess? Our messy. Now now the story behind behind when you, when you people sometimes you look sometimes you look at and and them and, and once you get to know them know them and you and you hear story and you understand that it and that it came by it honestly and you realize what they went through then you begin to have empathy for them and care about them and soon what are you doing? You begin to feel sorry for them and want to help them. One of the reasons that people might not have been to church for a long time is because you got around some Christian people when you were a mess. And they looked at you like you were a mess. And they treated you like you were a mess. And, and you didn't really care for that at all. And they wouldn't listen to your story. And so you said they have no compassion. And if that's what Christian people are like, then I don't want to have anything to do with that. And maybe we deserve that. But as we explore this topic and see what Jesus had to say, he was talking about us being students and not critics of this. And we're just, we all are. We're just one dumb decision away, or somebody else is just one dumb decision away from making a mistake. And Jesus said, what you and I need to do is yank the plank. You've read the Bible. Do you remember when Jesus said that? He didn't say that. That's not a direct quote. What Jesus said was, don't look at the speck in somebody else's eye before you take the log out of your own eye, right? In other words, yank the plank, right? Focus on yourself. Look in the mirror. You've got plenty of work to do, okay? Don't focus on them. And so, in summary, that's what he's teaching us to do. Because when we look in the mirror, we see the mess that our life is, and then we don't want to judge anybody else. And the other reason it's important is that you can't get out of it by yourself. We need each other to get out of the mess that we're in. But as Christians, we believe that the mess brings us 
together. And that's point number one. It's the mess that we have in common. It's the mess that brings us together. And so God just looked down from heaven and he looked at the mess that we made and he said, you know, I'm going to send my son and he's going to clean up this messy mess in the world today. But you know, when Jesus came, people didn't recognize Jesus. Do you know why? Because as God's representative and as God, when we think about God, what happens is a lot of times we expect punishment. We expect criticism. And so we're afraid of God, and we certainly don't want to be around God because we don't want to be punished or criticized. But when he showed up, he was so unusual. He, he did the unexpected. What did Jesus do? He came to earth and he started talking to us about grace. And he said, listen, I didn't come here to condemn you. I came here to save you. And I want you to know you can be forgiven. And all you need to do is ask. And I'll help you. Just repent. Just ask me. And I will forgive you. And so people didn't expect it. So they didn't see him. And most people missed it. And if you're a hot mess today, you may look good, but you're just trying to stay functional. And the gospel is something that tells us at the heart of the gospel that Jesus came into the world because of the messiness in the world. And here's what Christians believe. If you can see your mess for what it is and be honest about it, you can see God. Because when we get real and when we get honest and when we just tell the truth, God already knows anyway. He's just waiting on us to open up to him. Then that's when real healing takes place. The second thing is the mess brings us to God. You see, God loves the people who are messy. He loves lost people. That's why he came. He came to save us, and, and every one of us without him is lost. An interesting thing is God used a Pharisee of all people, actually an ex-Pharisee, an apostle Paul, to step into the pages of history at a time when he, is, he was on a mission to destroy the church. But God got Paul's attention, and he became a fanatic Jesus follower. And so he begins creating churches around the Mediterranean, and he writes letters to those churches, and those letters were collected, and they were copied, and they were made into much of the New Testament today. And he says in Romans, now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law. In other words, here's what he's saying. If you're under the law, then the law is over you. See, all of us have authority over us, and God wants us to understand what godly authority is so that we can surrender to it and become faithful and obedient to him. So Paul says, we're under the law and it's over us. And if you're a Christian, the law of Jesus is that you treat other people the way God through Jesus has treated you. It could be as broad as your conscience, that you think about what you should do, what you should not do. Did you know we know that? We just kind of know that innately. We know that intuitively. We just know there's a standard by which we are to live. And this is something that we all have in common. And you know, when we realize that we are messy, what do we say? I'm not perfect. We know we're not perfect, don't we? And what do we say? 
nobody is perfect. Look at the person next to you and say, nobody is perfect. Right, go ahead and tell them that right now. Some of you enjoyed that way too much <laughs> because you're sitting next to a person who you think thinks they're perfect, right? <laughs> but don't be pointing the finger at them because we're talking about us today, right? So when you acknowledge this and you say there is a perfect, then you immediately have to say, and I'm not it, right? Because there is a perfect and there is an imperfect. You, you've got to have that, right? And so what we realize, if you've got something over you, you've got something beyond you, you're underneath that. Paul says in Romans, now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. What's he talking about? He's saying as soon as you and I look in the mirror and we look around at other people, we just, we clam up because we say, you know what? I've got plenty to work on right here. I don't need to be focused on them. I don't need to be trying to change them. I don't need to try to make them into some kind of perfection. I've got plenty to do with myself. And when other people are tempted to look at you and me and be critical, they can be silenced too by just looking in the mirror. And this is what Jesus says. Before you judge somebody else, look at yourself and see. And Scripture, he goes on and says, Therefore... No one can be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. In other words, the law, we can never live up to the law. There's no way that we can do and be good enough to be saved. There's nothing we can do to take care of that. It's something that only God does through us. And then it says, by the works of the law, that's not how we'll become righteous, but it is through the law we become conscious of our sin. It's one of the reasons that people don't like church, perhaps, is because no, it reminds us of the fact that we don't measure up. We don't want to see that. We don't want to be honest about that. And we certainly don't want God to see that because we feel ashamed and we feel guilty and we want to kind of cover that up and make ourselves presentable to him. But when we read the New Testament, we look at it and we say, well, you know, I, I don't love my neighbor the way I should. I don't forgive quick enough. I'm not the person that I want to be. I'm not the person that I want and need to be. Because the Scripture, the law of God, is a mirror and a reminder. So let me ask you a question that's uncomfortable, okay? What does the law that you're under remind you that you are not? Because when you're honest about it and when you embrace it, and when you really see it and recognize the truth for what it is, you realize that that's exactly the reason that God gave it to us. He wants us to see it. He wants us to be honest because he wants to do something about it. And Paul sums it up in Romans when he says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's nobody that's exempt from that. All of us fall into that category. And since that's the case, we don't have to worry about being reminded of it because that's where God meets us and he delivers us and he forgives us. 
I can't even live up to my own expectations. How could I possibly live up to God's expectations? And so I think, well, I'll just try harder. And God, Paul says, no, you don't try harder, but rather what you try to do is you just remind you that there's something outside of us to which we are accountable or there is someone outside of us to which we are accountable, and that is God. Now, years later, after the Apostle Paul, this other guy came along, and his name was C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis, all my original thoughts come from C.S. Lewis. <laughs> because when I read things, I think things, and I think, oh, that's brilliant. And then I read C.S. Lewis, and I'm going, oh, he already came up with that. Great. That's great. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks for that, bud. Okay? He was a scholar. He was a teacher. He was a historian. He was a philosopher. And he became a Christian as an adult. He lived during the period of World War II. He was a citizen in Great Britain. He wrote a lot of books. One of his best books, one of his most famous books, is the book called Mere Christianity. If you've never read it, go home and read it, but take your time, okay? Because this is not like a comic book, okay? This is, I was a religion and philosophy major. We could just bail off into all that. But, but read the thoughts that he has because he, he says a lot. C.S. Lewis says, when I watch two people quarrel, they are both appealing to a standard that neither one of them created and neither one of them can escape. And as a non-Christian, when C.S. Lewis saw that, it just bugged the fire out of him. He couldn't stand it because he looked at it. And he said, how is it that we know that there is this standard that we're supposed to live by, and yet we don't live by it? How do we just know that? He says human nature tells us as human beings what we ought to do and what we ought not to do. He says, if you're kind and gentle and good to people, that makes things go better. But unlike any other area in the whole universe, because of human nature, we may know what we are supposed to do, but as the Apostle Paul says, we don't do it. Why is that? And he goes on and says, human beings all over the earth have a curious idea that they ought to behave a certain way and, and they just can't get rid of that thought, that standard. And he says there's this built-in, heart-driven sense of ethics and morality that you can't get rid of. And that's what led C.S. Lewis to become a theist and then to become a Christian because he realized he could not meet the standard. There's, he said there's something above and beyond the ordinary facts of our behavior, and yet it is quite definitely real. He said, we have all felt the pressure of conscience, and we want to convince you that pressure is the gracious presence of God. That's what he went around telling people once he began to understand it. God is not pressing us to become better. He's just pressing us to acknowledge and recognize him, just to give up and say, okay, God, you really are God, and I really do need you. And there's a standard we can't attain. When we look at other people, we can't focus on them because it just silences us when we see ourselves. The third thing, we need to acknowledge the mess. 
We need to acknowledge the mess. That's the only way we're going to deal with it. When you're sick, you go to the doctor, they give you a diagnosis. When you get a diagnosis, then you know what medicine to take, what surgical procedure you ought to have. You know, some way that you can get better, right? You may think it's one thing, but the doctor says, no, it's like that, but it's not that. This is what we need to do. And that's how you get help, right? And so we acknowledge our mess, and it, it is a baby step toward acknowledging God. And it means while we're wrestling with the mess, there is a reminder that there's someone above and beyond us. And it's a standard by which all measurement is made and all messes are measured. There is an unmess. There is a perfect and an imperfect. But there is a pathway for you and me into the presence and the power of our Heavenly Father. And the moral of the story is that we all have something in common, and it is the mess. It means that you have something in common. Now listen to this, because this is hard to hear, but it's true. You and I have something in common with the person and the group that we despise the most. Because when we look at other people and we see something in them, a trait that we don't like, it reminds us of the trait that we see in ourselves. And we don't like that. And that's why we project that onto them. And Paul says, when you recognize your mess and their mess begins to remind you of your mess, then we all get silent. So this week, I want to give you some homework, okay? And here's what I want you to do. Instead of being critical and judgmental and seeing yourself apart, and instead of thinking that you are better than everybody else, I want you to whisper this phrase under your breath. I know a mess when I see one because I am one. I know a mess when I see one because I am one. And we'll pick up there next week. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for looking down to a messy world. And instead of just giving us, giving up, you addressed the mess of sin. And Lord, I pray that as we address that mess with your help, that you would remind us of your presence, that we can identify you. And you're the reminder of who God really is. You are God. And you've placed this desire in our hearts, and you've given us a picture of what life can really be. So, Lord, today I pray that you would give us eyes to see, and I pray that you would give us ears to hear. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's children said, amen. Now, I'm going I'm to throw a curve at you. You thought you were through. Nay, nay. I've got one more thing. I've got a thought for the week. Okay, you ready? Write this down. Okay? I would rather attend church with messed up people who love God than religious people who dislike messed up people. I'd rather attend church with messed up people who love God than religious people who dislike messed up people. I don't care who you are. That'll preach right there.